at some point we are going to have to do a whole show about how good this show sounds.
welcome to Down Ballot. We do the show live every Friday at 7.30 p.m. right here on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Media. If you're listening on the pod, go on over there and uh, follow the channel. And uh, maybe find some other channels you like here, too, but mostly follow my channel. Uh, you can support this project at eplex.store. We have some snazzy new local love stickers that just arrived today that you can pick up. And uh, there's ways to join via membership like Patreon there, plus a bunch of other swag. And, uh, you know, kind of keep an eye on my Twitter because every once in a while I do pop some uh, promo codes on Twitter. Anyway, I'm producer Dave, and you can find me on Grinder. Greetings, producer Dave. Uh, this is the Councilman. You can find me as always at T H E underscore Councilman on Twitter. If Twitter is still there, thank you, Elon. Looking forward to the Elon Zuck uh, celebrity death match and um, lurking in your backyard, about to eminent domain that six inches of space I need for my succulent garden. <laughs> oh man, good 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 uh, fences make good neighbors, but. Uh... Fences oftentimes do lead to property line disputes. This is very true. Sort of like rock gardens, I found. Rock gardens. Interestingly enough. Oh, man. Maybe I can have a rock garden. I should have a rock garden. You don't really have to take care of it. You just put rocks in a place. I suppose. I mean, I guess you need a place to put the rocks first. I, you, you know, if you have a yard, maybe. I don't know. But uh, you could put them in the hallway, I suppose, but the roommates might not all excited about that when they're like walking to the bathroom in the middle of the night you know barefoot and they're like what are these rocks doing here who put these rocks here I'll just put a rock garden right in the middle of uh, the new studio when i build out my new studio so that you can't really walk <laughs> across the thing no you could do like foley art you know like the sound sound effects like crunch 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 <laughs> all right and anyway uh, what do we have for uh, leading off this week well, um, last week, uh, as we pointed out, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, came to town and brought his presidential um, motorcade, as it were, or his presidential campaign, uh, you know, cavalcade <laughs> with him. Um, this week, uh, even bigger news. Um, of course, the big guy was here. We'll leave that to, to itself. Um, not the big T, but the president of the United States, actually, who was here. Um, but, uh, you know, good old Governor Ron DeSantis from Florida decided to, to do it popover stopover in california and san francisco and while he was here he thought he would get in a couple digs at our little woke you know city to the north and uh make some points with a conservative elite so he he made a little video and he put it out and local abc news is gonna, gonna tell us all about it new at 11 florida governor and republican presidential candidate ron DeSantis was also in san francisco he visited yesterday and put out a new campaign video today seemingly on a city sidewalk you look around uh the city is not vibrant anymore it's really collapsed because of leftist policies and uh, these policies have caused people to flee this area they don't prosecute criminals like they do in most parts of the country DeSantis went on to mention things he says he saw during his visit from open-air drug use to boarded-up businesses. Our ABC7 News insider Phil Mateer says San Francisco could be at the forefront of national political debate going forward. It's no secret Governor Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis have had an ongoing feud. Governor Newsom goes down to Florida, cuts television ads there, criticizing that state, and now Governor DeSantis has decided to stop by Gavin Newsom's hometown and send him a postcard with his own critique of San Francisco. Once again, putting us in the spotlight for possibly the presidential election. Okay. I'm not 100% yeah. sure he wasn't like green screened onto a video of a, of a, a, a street corner. I don't, I don't know for sure. Cause like green, green screen technology is pretty fucking good, you know? So who knows like where he recorded that, but 
who knows if it's even Ron DeSantis, to be honest with you. It could yeah. be a deep fake. Um, but, <laughs> fake deep. Uh, yeah, I, I'm actually surprised he didn't mention the poop. Um, we cover it quite a bit here. There's definitely plenty of research and coverage and studies of the poop. And he just failed to mention the poop. I think that was a real missed opportunity on his part. Um, anytime you can you know, talk about the poop in leftist San Francisco to your, again, right-wing elite or you know your, your, your southern, not, not quite swing states, um, swinging the other way, in fact, um, yeah, uh, it, 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 it's a missed opportunity. But all in all, uh, you know, it's what you'd expect. Um, he also popped into Sacramento itself uh, physically for a, a fundraiser um, with some big wig developer of some sort. Um, and so, and Gavin Newsom shot back. So, but uh, also shooting back was, uh, as you'd expect, Mayor uh, London Breed from San Francisco, who never takes any kind of slight against her city lightly, especially when it comes to poop. But uh, <laughs> even in, in this case, she's willing to stand up for san francisco she's like the 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 older brother that uh that bullies and doesn't want anybody else bullying their uh their little brother basically so totally. she's like oh, the only person who can call this place a shithole is me right totally <laughs> it was my choice it's my, my it's my call um it's my town anyway uh, so she she responds to governor DeSantis's characterization of san francisco as uh you know falling apart because of woke leftist policies yeah, well, let's talk about um, a street corner in the Tenderloin, Geary and Hyde. Uh, that is where we see that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis recently filmed uh, a campaign ad in what he called go. the once great city of San Francisco. In the ad, he says he saw people defecating in the street. Oh, he did talk about that. Oh, there you go. To all, in his words, leftist policies. Let's see a bit of the ad and then we'll come back, Mayor, and ask for your reaction to it. I've seen so much uh, riffraff just running around, and um, it just shows you these policies matter, uh, leadership matters, they are doing it wrong here. No wonder why we've had so many people move from San Francisco to Florida over the last few years. We gotta stop. Mayor Breed, how do you respond to that ad? Well, he's using the oldest playbook in politics to get attention, talking bad about what's wrong and not necessarily talking about solutions to fix it. In fact, Speaker Nancy Pelosi has been actively engaged in working with us and the federal government to help deal with these challenges. Uh, President Joe Biden was just here in San Francisco yesterday talking about climate change and artificial intelligence. And so they're talking about solutions and how we move our country forward, but unfortunately, in politics, the old playbook of focusing on the negative and targeting places like San Francisco um, have been, unfortunately, the norm. So it, we need to turn that around. Is what he's saying untrue, though? Well, I don't know, because I don't know what his experience was. You know, people are taking what they're seeing in videos and seeing in terms of a snapshot and elevating them. But the people who actually live in the Tenderloin, have businesses in the Tenderloin, the people who, who step on the poop, that, those are the people we should actually be listening to. We are doing everything we can to make investments in treatment and programs and services. But ultimately, I think the work that we're doing around the arrest and collaborating with the state and the federal government are having an impact on helping us get to a better place. It's going to take us some time. This problem was not created overnight. And my hope is that more politicians will spend time on less time on criticizing and more time on working together with us to provide solutions. Um, I do like that, uh, that he used the term riffraff. Yes, that, that's a uh, very fancy, very, you don't hear that too often these days. So, so what, and the other thing I was wondering from the first video is like, 
you could go to any city in the country and find a few boarded up businesses. It's sure. just that somebody moved out. I mean, yeah. and there, you know, maybe there, nobody, t- nobody's picked up the place yet, or maybe it's boarded being boarded up because it's being renovated on the inside. There's all kinds of reasons. I mean, there were businesses boarded up on Campbell Avenue and, uh, that sure. was a, uh, there, there's no poop on Campbell Avenue. Are you sure? I mean, maybe like tiny little piece of like, I don't know, kangaroo rat poop or something. Yeah. Maybe, maybe some rat poop around the, around the, the, the five-star restaurants. <laughs> right. Or maybe in the, in the kitchen, but, um, no, for sure. Uh, the San Jose has plenty of vacancies, um, downtown, which, um, I forget if we're going to cover later, um, in the show, but, uh, there was some news about that this week as well. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, he's playing on a familiar narrative. Um, I did miss the whole defecation line. So he did reference the poop. Um, I like how mayor breed, you know, decided not to reference the poop necessarily. Um, uh, but it is a big factor. I think, I think that's something when she talks about people's perception, right. Um, there's a lot of things that can drive perception, but once you see human poop, on the sidewalk like it's just it changes your whole perception of a city <laughs> but then again as we've talked about before that's a city if you don't see human poop on the sidewalk i don't know if you can really say you're living in a city you're more than likely living in a burg somewhere or a burb um or a town uh, cities or have, los gatos like a lot of cities have just made it really hard to poop if you're not also engaging in commerce at the same time right like if, if yeah you could, you could poop if you were going to one of the restaurants or one of the bars Right, uh, but a lot of time, oftentimes those rest same restaurants and bars will not allow someone to just walk in and, and poop, right, and use their pooper, um, despite the fact that it could mean, okay, they might be going outside and pooping in the front of their business, right, their artisanal cupcake shop, and the artisanal cupcake shop would be, you know, behooved to, to let them in to use their restroom so that they, you know, they can keep the, not just the front of their business establishment clean, but like just the neighborhood itself, right, because this kind of perception spreads. I'm, I'm consistently on, you know, calls or in conversations or in, you know, just gatherings and casual conversations, hearing people talk about how they don't go downtown San, downtown San Jose anymore because it's a freaking hellhole and it's going to shit, right? And it's not as though, like, you walk down there, it's not, it's not fucking Beirut, right? It's not, it's not some sort of war zone, right? Sorry, Beirut um, and all the Lebanese people. Uh, but it's, it's just not, right? It, it's, you know, not the fanciest downtown there is some there's some scuzziness to it but it's not you know it's it's not dangerous it's not a bad it's not a sa- unsafe place to be right and yet that's the perception um and it's primarily because the poop right and and the icky homeless people um so what is what is mayor ed 209 doing and what is mayor breed trying to do and what are other mayors trying to do they're trying to combat blight right, we're going to hear about that later combat blight which basically means get the icky homeless people and the icky poop and all their icky possessions out of our sight um, out of mind so that we can go back to having commerce, right? Like you're talking about, you know, I, <clears throat> I don't really go to downtown San Jose that much. And, um, one of the reasons is because of the things that you said that other people might think are good about it. It's too safe, too clean, too sanitary. There's like too much, too much nice stuff. Kind of, there's only a couple like dives really left and like mm-hmm. the dives and like the places where the punk rock bands play or where you might catch a, might catch a dj playing for an empty dance floor because the the bartender knows the dj and they're like sure you could play yeah. here those are places are what make a city cool and like yeah. you know artisan wine bars and shit are what makes a city whack <laughs> and, the, and especially the artisan wine bars that close at what like nine or ten right um god forbid you know we you know we have a city that shuts down at 2 a.m right or even later um but that's just never been san jose's thing 
Um, we tried. And maybe we'll get there one day once, you know, maybe in another generation. Who knows? But we keep praying for that. And I don't know if it's necessarily coming. Anyway, uh, well, uh, you know, good on Ron DeSantis um, for, you know, playing it up and trying what he can to, trying to do what he can to make some hay in that race. Um, he's, I don't think he has any chance in California or anywhere else against the big T. Um, we shall see. Probably has a better chance than Robert Kennedy has against Joe Biden. <laughs> oh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll have to see. I figure we should have a, um, we should have a fake, uh, we should also have a fake election between RFK Jr. and Ron DeSantis just to, just to liven things up a little bit. You know, like a uh, model UN when you were uh, maybe in high school or, or the, oh. uh, university, we could do like, we could do like that for a presidential election. You know, spend all the money, get, get, get some more money in some more consultants' hands and just kind of do it for bragging rights, you know? For sure. Or we could just do a mock uh, sort of debate. You know, um, one of us could play Ron DeSantis. You know, the media one could play Trump. Um, it would be fantastic. But uh, <laughs> well, actually, the well, media ones well, would have to uh, play uh, Jordan Peterson as the moderator because her Jordan Peterson uh, impression oh, is fabulous. just on it's, point. I don't even want to do it. I mean, I would just end up doing Kermit the Frog, um, but hers is just ridiculously good. So I don't even want to try. Um, but yeah, let's 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 book that. Let's book that shit. That's going to be fabulous. Anyway, uh, well, that's leading off for this week. Um, so stay tuned for the next presidential candidate to touch down in the Bay Area. California is a little bit sooner in the process. Um, we're in like that Super Tuesday range, um, but we're certainly not going to be a decider, I think, in the greater scheme of things. Sp- certainly not in November, but perhaps um, in the Republican primary, we might have something to say. So yeah, yeah. Say. I think I think that um, there. I think that California is a place where Ron DeSantis has a chance to make a slightly better showing because a lot of the cities there's there's a lot of more, there's you know more people live in the cities in California than you know live anywhere else and. I bet there's more people, yeah. more Republicans living in the cities than than the whole rest of the state combined, and they're and I think like city Republicans are going to be a little more inclined towards Ron DeSantis maybe than the Republicans up in like Shasta County or whatever who are going to sure. be like all in for Trump. Yeah, I mean he's known as sort of like Trump, not Trump light, but more like you know um, acceptable Trump or <laughs> or Trump without the the baggage of like feeling women's private parts, you know, and and. Uh, all the other uh, malfeasance, the big lie, and everything else. Um, so basically, Trump without all that shit. Uh, so uh, we'll we'll see. I think he'll do okay. I think he'll stick around long enough to to make Trump sweat a little bit. But I mean, last time around, we were expecting the big T to fall off and 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 get taken down at any given moment. He just kept knocking those guys off, like 15, 15 candidates or something like that. Just knocked them all off. You know, like flies, I, flies I, off a sugar cake. I want Jeb to run again just because his uh, thing was Jeb exclamation point. <laughs> I thought, oh, I thought it was Jeb. Please clap. Please clap. There were a lot of like during the Black Lives Matter stuff, there were a lot of memes of like uh, Jeb, like throwing the first Molotov and stuff. It was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Like there were like, right, well, like, images of cop cars that were like turned over with, with like <laughs> and Jeb had tagged his name on the cop car. <laughs> With the exclamation point, too. Yeah, of course, sure. of course. Yeah, right. That's the tag, the, the, full, the full tag. Oh, man. Jeb was here. Exclamation <laughs> point. All right. Well, uh, well, we'll we'll stay tuned for that. And when Jeb makes an appearance in the Bay Area, we will certainly be there. We'll get an interview. We'll Dude, do, the, go. We'll do yeah. all the things. Yeah, I'll we'll go. Definitely exclamation go. point. Yeah. I mean, if we'd known exactly where DeSantis was going to be, we would have been all over that shit. But he, he was stealthy. He got in there. To, what did they say? Geary and... Uh, I forget. Geary and something else. Anyway. He was in the, well, in, the, in the heart of the TL. In the tent, in the tenderloin. Well, uh, shall we see who's winning and who's losing? 
because most people are losing. It looks like uh, our first story is a uh, BART police. Um, uh, it's not going to be anybody we're going to like. Uh, the BART police well, are winning, I guess. They're that's great. BART police. The 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 transit system is in disarray. Gonna, facing a major problem with funding, and the BART police are getting a little over eight and a half million. Not to like hire, not they're just for recruiting, like basically for marketing for new recruits, essentially. So let's check out Correct. this. Uh, let's check out how Fox Two covers this. Probably not going to be great. Might be La Monica. They soon see more police officers on BART trains. The Transit Agency's board held a budget vote today that aims to increase recruitment and retention on BART's police force. KTVU's Alice Wirtz has the story. A unanimous approval by the board of directors gives BART police an increase of $8.53 million, making the top salary range for new hires between $55 and $67 an hour. Thursday's board meeting in downtown Oakland, members unanimously approved an additional $8.5 million to fill empty positions and put more officers on trains. Obviously, the benefits of recruitment and retention, as we've spoken about, an enhanced presence on our system, morale improvement, and obviously an improvement with filling vacancies can lead to savings in overtime where we're currently having to fill in for those missing spots. Ultimately, it's an effort to get more passengers back on the trains. Interim Police Chief Kevin Franklin has served with BART for 27 years. He's been Interim Chief since February. I believe BART is safe, but there is a perception out there that we have to acknowledge that there is crime on BART, and, and we're trying to work very hard right now to address that perception. Crimes happen Franklin everywhere, though. This extra budget will get more riders back on BART. We track very carefully um, where... I'm going to go commit a crime tomorrow. I don't know which one. And we do put Run a stop sign. ...where they are needed. It's all Jaywalking is no longer a crime, unfortunately. And more safety for those riders on the transit line. I think it does work well. Uh, the important part is having enough people out there to respond to the incidents that we're observing and to prevent more incidents from happening. The BART Board of Directors unanimously approved an increase in budget for police officers, but will it be enough to get passengers to feel safe enough to get back on the trains? Well, Breslin lives in the city. She's been riding BART since the 70s. And I don't feel safe anymore. Why? Well, because there's homeless people on it and people get on that look kind of crazy. So... She says some lines on BART are worse than others. <laughs> the whole last BART car was all full of marijuana smoke. Oh, that's you know, great. Yeah, yeah, the shame train. Sweet. They can just do that. Others, like Joe Ramirez, says it's important for riders to feel safe. I think people definitely are. Uh, I know my mom, like, she refuses to take BART because she thinks, like, she's going to get robbed when she, <laughs> when she comes. Uh, and I know, like, my family feels the same way. They try to avoid it when possible. This eight and a half. They should go to the marijuana car. Will help Bart compete. <laughs> totally with chill. Other public safety agencies around the Bay Area at a time when recruiting public safety and police officers is challenging. In Lafayette, Alice Wirtz, KTVU, Fox Two News. Of course, they decided to talk to people at the fucking Lafayette Bart station. <laughs> you talk to like I mean, people. I... Talk to like people that get on at MacArthur or whatever, and those people are like, "What? No, no, it's fine." <laughs> like you talk to people like at Twenty Fourth and Mission. They're like, nah, I'm just taking this to work. What are you talking about? What right. are you talking about? What do you mean more police? <laughs> right. Uh, that, that's that's classic. But yeah, again, uh, I I love the person on the street view, especially the one woman who they asked, right? And what what is the reason? What what is the reason she feels unsafe now? 
that she didn't, you know, and she didn't feel that way, whatever, 40, 50 years ago when she first started writing Bart and Bart first opened. It's the homeless people. <laughs> it's the first thing she said. The homeless people and the, the people who look a little crazy. Shit, producer Dave, you and I look a little crazy on any given fucking Tuesday on Bart, you know? Like, if, we're, if we're having a bad day, if I haven't shaved or if I haven't showered and I'm just really pissed off, right? Talking to myself a little bit, maybe maybe really like just digging into myself a little bit. You know? I can look a little crazy on Bart. So what the fuck, lady? Like, am, am I freaking you out? Right, or if I've like had a night, like I was in Oakland or whatever with like friends or whatever, and I've had a yeah. night and I slept on a friend's couch and didn't sleep too well and didn't just, they were like, you know, they, they had things to do. I didn't, I kind of wanted to get out of their hair. So I skipped the shower in the morning and just got on the train and started heading home. Yeah. I'm one of those people that's scaring her now, but I'm just a, just a fucking regular dude with a hangover and a podcast. I mean, like, <laughs> no, don't be afraid well, lady. Knew, I have a podcast like every other white she guy. Knew, you if she knew you had the 11th best news podcast in California, you know, I think she might think otherwise or maybe have a different opinion of you. But I'd give her um, a card. She'd be like, oh, you have a podcast. You're harmless. Actually, you're kind of whack. <laughs> She's like, there are, there are 10 other news podcasts in California. Oh, <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, the councilman's talking about an email we got from somebody that was like, look, you have our, you know, according to our thing, you're number 11 for news podcasts in California. And then I went to the th website and I was like, oh, you want my money. <laughs> you could have flattered me a little bit better, right? You could have put, cause like you could maybe make it so that everybody you send that email to, maybe they're all the number four one, right? Cause they right. just give everybody a different, like a different, like, like the metrics, like when I clicked on it, the metrics, I'm like, this is made up. This is not I, the metrics for down ballot. <laughs> I mean, do you think, do you think they're sending that email to the California report? I don't know. Like, do you think Guy Maserati is getting that email? Or they might have been number one on there. Who knows? Maybe they were number <laughs> 10 and we can beat them out next time. They're number nine. We're, they're number nine. So, um, so we're, we're coming up, but, uh, John something or other is the next, next guy up on the list. Number 10. So we can crack the top 10 if we can knock him off. I couldn't find him on Twitter. So obviously he's not a very good podcaster. <laughs> anyone who's anyone is on Twitter. I mean, come on, let's go. <laughs> don't, don't we know that? Um, he's He's got like a Facebook page that he does that he like can't access because he forgot his password. He's getting more downloads than we are. <laughs> no, he's got he's he absolutely has a Facebook network. Um, anyway, uh, so speaking of uh, more money for cops, I mean, in you know Bart, they're just going to look to pay the cops. In Oakland, they like to bribe the cops. So we're going to find out more about. I don't know how we missed this story originally, but there's a new court case developing around this. I mean, who amongst us? Oh, wait a minute. No, I've never been a cop and taken a bribe. That's incorrect. TVU crime reporter Henry Lee live tonight in the newsroom with the latest on this big development. Henry. Yeah, Mike and Julie, this case was brought by Alameda County DA Pamela Price, who's promised to hold officers accountable. She called today uh -oh. a historic but sad moment. Veteran Oakland police officer Fong Tran will be going to trial on charges of bribery and perjury in connection with a botched murder case. If you violate the law, even if you're a police officer, that you will be held accountable. What about especially if you're a police officer? Price, a progressive who's made charging police misconduct a top priority, was in court when Judge Clifford Blakely ruled there was enough evidence for Tran to stand trial. I regret to inform the residents of Alameda County that this case involves a decade of lying and manipulation by an Oakland police officer.
Tran, a longtime homicide investigator, is accused of bribing Aisha Weber to identify two men as suspects in the 2011 shooting death of Charles Butler Jr. Weber later testified she didn't witness the killing and said Tran had paid her $5,000. We want witnesses to be able Wait, they, to come <laughs> forward truthful. In Alameda County, cops bribe you. <laughs> and not because they are bribed or given false incentives. The judge cited this 2013 KTVU story featuring Tran and the victim's terminally ill father pleading for tips. And just a week after that broadcast, Weber came forward saying she saw two men commit the crime. Prosecutors say Tran made it look as if Weber took the initiative, when in fact Tran had been paying her and had met her previously, according to the DA. Prosecuting the case against Tran are Zachary Linowitz, an ex-Contra Costa public defender, and Leah Abraham, a former San Francisco prosecutor under Chesa Boudin. Representing Tran is ex-prosecutor Andrew Gantz. The witness who was allegedly bribed, her credibility will be the main issue for a jury to decide. KTVU legal analyst Michael Cardoza says... Her credibility kind of doesn't matter if maybe she deposited that $5,000 at her bank right around the time, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it like that wasn't oh, yeah. normal for her to be depositing that kind of money? Like that wasn't a usual Absolutely. thing she was doing? Again, we'll see well, her on Weber's yeah. testimony. It is a question, did she lie then when she said, I know who committed these murders, or is she lying now? when she says, no, I got right. Now, in a statement, the officer's attorney said that in part, there's a lack of merit to the charges, and that case, uh, as it stands, is at an early stage where the standard of proof is relatively low. Live in the newsroom, Henry Lee, KTVU, Fox 2 News. Henry, in regards to the timeline, what are we thinking here that when this trial may possibly start? Well, uh, the officer will be back in court next month to make okay. another arraignment. He's going to probably plead not guilty. And then from there, the judge will take a look at trial dates. All right. Henry Lee, live tonight in the newsroom. Henry, thank you. I don't, I'm imagining the, 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 the DA said that this is like 10 years of malfeasance. So I'm guessing this one bribe isn't really the only thing uh, that they have on this guy. Yeah, more likely they've, they've unraveled quite a bit. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know that you wouldn't go, you know, you wouldn't have a really stout case if you're going to bring this, especially with the heat that's been on, you know, uh, DA Price, as we've covered on Down Ballot quite extensively. Um, just about anything she does has been under the microscope. So uh, obviously a case against an officer is going to be going to draw a lot of attention from your law and order crowd. Um, and uh, interesting that she's recruited former prosecutors from Chesa Boudin's office in SF to uh, work her cases. Good, good on her. Um, good that some of them found a landing spot. Um, but yeah, uh, very interesting case and, um, more than likely, I mean, come on, like you said, <laughs> uh, I've never taken a bribe. Um, I, I was curious. So you've never taken a bribe or you've never been, been a police officer, which one of the things is untrue or are both of them untrue? I'm just going to leave that one alone. <laughs> you could be 50% right half so, of the time. <laughs> so I just, I thought this was going to be a case like where the cop was being bribed, not where the cop mm. uh, paid the witness. And it's not, by the way, it's not out of the ordinary for police departments to uh, pay uh, informants. Sure. Um, but 100%. that stuff's like all above board and it's not like five grand to like say you saw this. The way it works is usually goes the other way. The informant will bring the police information and then be like, because a lot of times maybe police informants or, you know, people who are around crime oftentimes due to their socioeconomic status and so right. they'll they'll be like can i get 50 bucks walking around money and the cop's like how about 20 
Right. Like I've yeah, seen PI, the wire. I know how this works. Right. PI doesn't always stand for private investigator. It also stands for um, uh, paid informant, right? Or police informant. So yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's definitely a, a form, a formal kind of a thing. This is obviously under the table, uh, not above the board and uh, with intent. To, but this is also something that, you know, we hear about, we see movies, um, but we hear about, we, we, we hear tell about, but, um, and we assume, I think it's happening to some extent, right? Like uh, anyone who's seen Training Day, right? Or one of these movies, right? Or, you know, you, you, you pick it. Um, there's a, a, a bad cop movie out there somewhere. So, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see in, I guess, a month or two when uh, this starts to unravel. But everyone's saying what you'd expect at this point. And the defense is doing what they were supposed to do, which is just draw attention to the fact that, the, you know, you, you might not be able to trust the, um, uh, you know, the, the star witness simply because they're the one that took the bribe in the first place, right? Like, it's kind of <laughs> like the oh, the, oh, well, you know, this this woman must have poor eyesight because she's a prostitute, right? Like, well, no, or, it's, yeah, that's not idea, how it works. The idea that, like, you're almost admitting, like, there's a way in which if you were really dumb, you could admit that your client is guilty. Be like, well, why would you trust somebody who took a bribe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> They're obviously corrupt. They're obviously in it for their own purposes, right? Um, but now they're testifying against a sworn officer of the law, and it's just—it's not. It's one of those things where it's like, why would you do that if it was not true, right? Why, why would you, you know, come, why would any victim like the, of you know sexual abuse or violence come forward, right, or rape? Why would you bring that on yourself? And, you, and anyone who you know tries to use that argument just has no idea, and it would it never has been, and never will be in a situation of being that vulnerable. Yeah, because when you I, take a bribe from a cop, you're in a fucking bad spot. You're yeah. in a bad what do you spot. Do? Call, what are you going to do? Call, call the cop cops? If, yeah. <laughs> like they say, you, right? you give um, $5,000 to another cop to arrest the cop that bribed you with $5,000. Now you're guilty of bribery. Now right. everybody's bribing everybody. Right. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. Um, well, we'll, we'll uh, we've been doing a great job of following up, so we'll be doing some follow-up on this story as it comes to the first. I'm surprised we missed... I, I, maybe this is the first we've heard of it in the news, but um, or it's the first it's made the news, but I'm surprised we missed it sooner. Anyway. Uh, well, well, back over in San Francisco, Bruce or Dave, um, the San Francisco fire chief is a little concerned um, because uh, there's some things getting in the way of you know, first responders, and it's not the barricades preventing Johns from hustling for sex in the mission. It's something completely different. A new battle in San Francisco, driverless cars against the city's fire chief. A battle between high-tech progress and the growing concern that these self-driving vehicles delay emergency vehicles driven by first responders. Our business and tech reporter, Scott Budman, has the details. One week away from state regulators voting on whether to let autonomous cars expand their services in San Francisco, the city's fire chief told us... She'd rather they hit the brakes. I'm not anti-technology. What I am anti is uh, getting in the way of public safety when we're trying to do our jobs. And that's what's been happening uh, time and time again. Chief Janine Nicholson says the driverless vehicles from companies like Waymo and Cruise are literally getting in her way. Walking emergency medical and fire. 
Most recently on June 9th, when a cruise vehicle stopped on its own near a shooting in the city's Mission District. But the fire department says they've logged nearly 40 incidents with robo-taxis since January 1st. Because we've seen these vehicles run over our hoses and get them caught in their wheel wells. We've seen them stop in front of two different fire stations now, blocking our um, fire engines from getting out onto calls. Waymo and crews say they continue to work on refining the vehicles and improving their safety records. And while we don't yet know their entire growth plans... They've tested vehicles in San Francisco's for years. Tech watchers like Adam Kovakovich of the Chamber of Progress says he believes overall the driverless cars are likely to make things more safe for people, not less. Yeah, there will probably be some incidents, far fewer incidents than there are human-driven uh, accidents. But in general, my prediction is that several months from now, we'll look back on this <clears throat> and we'll say, why did we ever worry? much about autonomous vehicles in San Francisco. Chief Nicholson says she can wait. I would say, please hit the pause button. Scott Budman, NBC Bay Area News. Yo, you know what they need on the fire engines and shit? They need push bars. Fuck your self-driving car if it's in the way of like a fire engine. I'm serious. They should fucking install some shit on. And it's just like for other cars. Like you can get cars out of the. I mean, I know it's like unpredictable or whatever. Sure. And, you know, well, city streets are kind of narrow and you may be, may be likely to push that into somebody else's car and damage it. But if there's like a big fire. These- if there's a threat to life and limb and people's pro- and property and all that, you know, absolutely. Like, you know, I, I it, and I don't care if it's a self-driving car and there's plenty of folks that like freaking, you know, double park, right? Amazon drivers and Uber drivers and Lyft drivers and just general population, right? And residents double park in front of their places all the time, right? Just, to, oh, I'm just dropping something off or I'm just hopping inside for a minute, right? Or I'm just meeting somebody. And yeah, you're disrupting traffic and commerce and someday you might disrupt some emergency situations. So be more conscious of yourself. Uh, Maybe self-driving cars can be, or probably more conscious of (laughs) their surroundings than humans are, right? So perhaps there's a way that um, we can set up some triggers so that first responders can get them out of the way without having to play bumper cars with them. But I agree with you. Why not? Or or what if... What if there was like some sort of agreement between these companies and the the emergency services to where the emergency services could send a message to the car that says, get the fuck out of my way. And right. then the, the, the car, then the car just, it probably knows where the fucking emergency vehicle is because all the flashing lights and it just gets the fuck out <laughs> like you and I do, right? They should right. Just be able to send a pull over message to these cars. Some sort of override of some sort. Yeah. No, I, I think. I think that makes a lot of sense. I've always thought that cops might have overrides on the, you know, the traffic lights. Um, but, you know, they've had the technology. So but, uh, maybe, maybe we can get something like that going on for our, for our first responders. Because, yeah, I would, the last thing I would want is if, you know, some, someone in my family was, you know, on the, in a life or death situation. And the only thing between first responders and my family member was a Waymo car. <laughs> and it was just sitting there. It's confused. Don't know what to do. Am I being pulled over? What's going on here? Right. Um, but, you know, if you're really upset and you really want to you know, track down who's responsible, you can always get together with your neighbors and pay for some license plate readers to be installed in, around your neighborhoods. That way, you know, no one's ever getting away with crime in your hood. And that's what happened in Saratoga, apparently. You can find these at every exit and entrance to the Saratoga Woods neighborhood. Their license plate reading cameras funded 
by neighbors. Late 18, early 19, we were noticing an increase in crime within the Saratoga Woods community. If it wasn't burglaries, it was vehicle thefts. Coming out of the technology sector, many of us do, uh, we started to investigate what are now known as these APLR uh, license plate reader cameras. Larry says dozens of his neighbors teamed up and paid several hundred dollars to install and manage some of the first flock cameras in the city of Saratoga in 2020. They didn't need city permission because they were installed on private property. Two years later, the city followed suit, installing seven license plate readers as part of a pilot program. And now, neighborhoods all around the city are pitching in for their own flock cameras with the help of the city. The city of Saratoga says they just approved six districts or communities that want to pay for these license plate reading cameras. Here's a map of the proposed sites. The orange dots are the incoming cameras, a total of 26. All of them would be funded by residents through their property taxes, then managed by the city and the Santa Clara County Sheriff's Office. Since the beginning of the year of 2023, uh, we've had over nine arrests from these flock cameras. The Sheriff's Office says these cameras solely focus on license plates. And once the system detects a stolen car, the company notifies dispatch. So it's going to help with the investigative leads. And so far, the success rate and how fast these deputies locate uh, these stolen vehicles is pretty impressive. They get them off the street, and the biggest thing is to get these vehicles back to its rightful owner. As for Larry, he says he's seen a decrease in crime in his neighborhood. He says they went from 12 vehicle burglaries in 2019 to just two in 2022, and says even neighbors concerned with privacy issues are now looking at the benefits. There is a feature in the flock camera system that if people who live in the neighborhood don't want their license plate tagged, you can actually opt out. In Saratoga. Oh, I believe that. NBC Bay Area News. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, sure. sure. We're, we're, where's the QR code that I can scan to go opt out? Please show me, Larry. <laughs> like, I don't believe that for a second that this, that this company, because you notice they said there's a company. It's not being run by the city or by the county or whatever. So the yeah. company's uh, like a middleman here. And I am there. I do not believe for a second that this company is not tracking everyone in that neighborhood and selling that information, selling like that information Somewhere. to some advertiser or who knows there. Oh, you opt out. Get the fuck out of here. You can opt out with a certain kind of a paint on your license plate, by the way, certain kind of paint right. where the cops can still see your license plate, but the license plate reader can't see your license plate. Interesting. Yeah, uh, but I, it, is, um, it is illegal to it is illegal to tamper with your California license plate. It is not, from what I know, other than to put the new tags, the new registration tags on. I believe that you're not allowed to tamper with the plates. Yeah, um, is, much it, like your front your front windows, you're not allowed to tint your your uh, drivers or passenger side front windows or the windshield um, for obvious reasons. Um, but uh, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, this is getting in a very slippery slope area. Um, amazed that in a town like Saratoga, all, I mean, not amazed that in a town like Saratoga, something like this would happen. More that in a town like Saratoga that, or a city like Saratoga that's usually so hawkish about code and zoning and everything else, like they have a, they literally have a zoning code that says you can't build anything more than like two stories in Saratoga, like anywhere. Um, so the fact that they say, oh, it's fine, it's private property, go ahead install them like the first wave now gets they're coming around and they realize oh we need to actually regulate this you know and get involved somehow um but they're getting involved in as much as they're facilitating it 
for more residents and more neighbors who want to you know step up and have cameras watching their every move and watching everyone who comes into their little tony neighborhood um you know uh to deal with crime that's as we've pointed out before is not necessarily like spiking or on the rise or really out of the ordinary um it may have may have had a slight uptick during the pandemic for obvious reasons but really is not a going concern um, so again, not surprising that Saratogans would be the ones doing something like this, but really surprised that their their city management didn't uh, step in sooner, right? So I'm wondering if any of the people, the kinds of people who are maybe afraid of 5G are like, think that this stuff is like going to give them like bone marrow cancer or something. I'm wondering if there's one of them. You would certainly expect to see them in public comment if this came before the planning commission, right? In Saratoga or the city or the city council for that matter you would absolutely expect to hear them. And I think there's even a couple of them sitting on the city council. So you would certainly hear <laughs> there's, there's, there's some folks who would probably l- love to have the hat you're wearing right now. Um, but maybe in a more, in an actual tinfoil format, uh, available at our web shop, uh, eplex.store. Use the code now space, all caps for 10% off anything in the store. Boom. See, I'm, I'm, I'm good for lead-ins like that too. It's called a sales it's conversion. Like, everybody sales conversions. Um, well, yeah, I mean, as the 11th best news podcast in California, <laughs> California we, need to, we should be selling we need to more recognize, merch. Yeah, we have a big audience out there. I mean, all three of our listeners are going to be buying some shit. So um, if you're listening, Michelle, David, you know, I, I, I see you. We feel you. You know, um, I, I, Nancy, I think, is the third listener. Um, thank you all for downloading and please keep doing it. You, you'd be much more better suited watching our Twitch broadcast. So you can see our lovely faces and watch these clips live. Um, but, you know, Keep downloading, share with your friends, and join us live too. You can do both. So we got one more story in Winners and Losers. This is about an Alaska Airlines flight that uh, didn't go so well for basically probably everybody involved. Let's look. Well, just for the one dude, actually. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Let's see what's going on here. More than a thousand flights go in and out of SFO every day, Thursday night. It was awful. Awful is how Avery Lieberman would describe the landing as a passenger aboard an Alaska Airlines flight returning from LA. Lieberman said in their final descent. All of a sudden, the most abrupt maneuver occurred in which the front of the airplane, the nose of the airplane just went way up and the jets went full force. At that very second, that it started, the lights went out. Lieberman says in all, it was about a minute, but felt like an eternity. Back in May, a couple of close calls when two airliners aborted landings at SFO after pilots spotted a Southwest Airlines jet taxiing across runways on which the other planes had been cleared to land. Concerns about close calls led the FAA to announce earlier this year it would invest 100 million in airport improvements, though not at SFO, to reduce the number of runway incursions. It felt like a fighter pilot experience. In Lieberman's case, he says the pilot simply said there was an issue with air traffic control and they needed to recircle or do what's called a go-around, like you see on this real-time track of the plane from FlightAware. The FAA tells us that these go-arounds are safe and routine procedure in which the pilots and the air traffic controllers are working together to make sure that an unsafe condition doesn't occur. Doug Rice is a retired airline pilot and looked at the public records for this particular Alaska Airlines flight. The aircraft involved was higher than expected and a little bit faster. He got a little too close to a large aircraft that was in front of him. Uh, Too close was probably three to three and a half miles away from an aircraft that was landing in front of them. 
and they might have needed four miles or or something on that order. So you're not talking about a critical situation. In a statement, Alaska Airlines says the go around was done as a safety precaution because of congestion and added at no point was the safety of the flight compromised. We commend our pilots for their quick thinking. I think that's watered down quite a bit. Somebody has to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, dude. Time, uh, before the next incident isn't just a close call. In San Francisco, Giovang, NBC, Bay Area News. Wait a minute. No, no, no. The, 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 the former pilot said this wasn't really that close of a call. It looked like they had, they had three miles. And their plane's traveling really fast, but you... Three miles is, is, that's not, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know, man. Three miles is still three miles. And it's not, this guy's have, this guy um, obviously must have soiled his depends, right? And is looking for some retribution um, and, and feeling really, you know, really uh, freaked out. Um, but yeah, these things, ha these things actually do happen quite a bit. Um, the roundabouts and turnarounds or whatever they call them, those happen quite a bit. Um, it's pretty common practice. And yeah, pushing tin, as they say, or whatever the phrase is for air traffic control, it's really hard shit. Like, there's a lot of planes in the air at any given time. And there's especially an air, uh, uh, you know, airport like SFO, where you've got crisscrossing runways and all sorts of traffic backing up, right? Very busy airport takeoffs and landings um, and different airlines to coordinate with. It's, it's really complicated shit. So the fact that something like this or, you know, close calls don't happen more often is, frankly, amazing. Um, and it's a testament to the work of these fine pilots and fine air traffic controllers and this guy's obviously just being a, a male Karen and and get, getting into a tizzy about it and you know contacting the local news about it and I'm guessing like the other 250 odd people on the flight you know were just like oh that was fun you know it was or, exciting you know maybe a little unsettling because that <clears throat> you know if they if for whatever reason the pilot felt like well I gotta actually do this right now um we gotta you know me for uh, who knows what the what the reasoning was right if if, yeah. if he's like no this actually i have to do this right now well then yeah i guess it might be a little unsettling to some of the people on board so that that pilot is a trained professional who right. knows what that plane can and cannot do right and homeboy is sitting in his living room nice and comfortable you know in menlo park or wherever atherton wherever he lives he's fine not no worse for wear not even a bump or a bruise or a you know twisted muscle to be found or a, t a stub toe He's just fine. Just like, you know, the, uh, we had the, the shooting, the, or the ghost gun found at our local school here, right? We had it on down ballot a few weeks ago and parents are all freaked out. Like, what are you going to do about it? Well, guess what? We did something about it. We found the gun. We got the kid. No one got hurt. What's your problem? <laughs> you know, like, are we supposed to like stop, you know, put up a wall? Um, but yeah, so that everything worked. All this, the systems worked and this guy's just, so I thought it was hilarious watching this. I'm like, how did this make the news? This is this is newsworthy. Okay. And shut the fucking like you were saying, shout out to all these people, the pilots, <clears throat> the air traffic control workers. You <clears throat> you would think that a professional job like an airline pilot would pay really well, but you would think wrong. You would absolutely think wrong. It's just like uh teaching. It's 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 pittance what we pay these folks. Right. And they're and, forced and they're forced to work really like awful hours and crazy hours right and crazy travel literally travel schedules right like you're away from home for weeks on end um back and forth crisscrossing the world sometimes it's, it's and there, there are really... times where if there's not enough time between your flights but you want to go to sleep that you pay for a hotel out of pocket 
right. the airline doesn't reimburse you because it's like I, I don't remember what the number of hours was, but it was, yeah. uh, when I heard it, I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" It's I'm sure it's contractual, right? They're unionized, so I'm sure it's contractual in terms of like how many hours you have to work or be on a layover in order to, for us to pay for you know X number of hours for your for you to sleep somewhere and, and not not you know get into a cockpit in front of like 300 people in a tin can flying through the air at 600 miles an hour I was, <laughs> a little bit it, sleepy it was kind of surprising to me to find out that airports don't have like sleeping quarters for the pilots i why mm-hmm. would i would why put, wouldn't you right i'd put like just a bunch of 10 by 10 rooms with a nice nice bed you know turn down service like at a hotel and a tv on the wall and if you're a pilot you can go you can go you can go take a nap in that room whenever you want I would, I just can't imagine. I don't, I don't understand. Like, it doesn't even seem like it's not that much space. It could be built yeah. into the airport when they're not being used by the pilots. When people have, <clears throat> when people's flights get canceled or weird shit happens, you could be like, Hey, you know, we have a, we have a room actually here for you in the, in the, in the airport that we're going to, yeah. we're going to be able to comp you. Uh, it's not fancy, no room service, but you know, you can take a nap, watch the TV, hang out, but no, no, they don't do that. And so it's, it's, it's 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 rough on pilots and then you <clears throat> luckily enough this this guy didn't probably go bother the pilot right i would hope i would hope not especially on the way off the plane maybe like everyone's just like thank you for getting us home safely right and this guy comes up like i've got some words for you sir i don't know anything about your job but i'm going to tell you how to do your job right i mean if i say if something like that if something like that happened and i ran into the pilot on the way off i'd be like that was wild what what happened i'd like want to know you know what i mean i might want to know more about what happened not not less for show for show um interestingly enough the good wife's um at the good wife's office they have a lactation room that doubles as like the rest room, right? Literally restroom, like like nap room. So people will schedule, like staff will schedule nap time in there. And sometimes they'll like oversleep or, you know, or they'll get in there too early or they'll be in there too late. And the good wife's got a pump, you know, she's got things to do, right? Um, and <laughs> she got a lactate. Um, so you have to like, quote unquote, knock them out, right? Like wake them up, you know, get them to, to come out uh, just so you can do your business. And it's just, it's, it's the it's the most awkward thing so but at least they you know have a space so maybe some shared space they, i'm saying they could figure out some sort of shared lounge space at the airport for the pilots um and maybe the lactating moms all right well we're gonna get our shit together here well maybe maybe not <laughs> this story is about well, two of our favorite to. things in san francisco the millennium tower and shit <laughs> hit play Well, they saw this coming. Millennium Tower's own engineer suggested that sewage backups could be a byproduct of that high rise tilting so much. Now it's the ugly reality. Backed up sewage into the condos of the troubled high rise. One resident recently found the kitchen sink overflowing with brown muck. Investigative reporter Jackson Vanderbecken has the exclusive story. Mayor Dad Mustafavi said he once considered his third floor Millennium Tower condo his happy place, but not anymore. <laughs> One time, two times, four times, four times this area. He says as the tower continued to sink and tilt, he started getting flooding problems from drain pipes. Uh, if you see in his ceiling, around his washing machine, and his toilet, even bubbling up from the kitchen sink. From this pipe. But nothing like what he faced when he recently. Oh. Came home. On a Sunday, uh, the next day, he invited us to see for ourselves. When I came last night here, water was up to here. It was everywhere. 
even in, uh, his, office, uh, in his office nearby. Uh, change some, some of the cabinet, and if the, I change the cabinet, I, I have refurbished the whole uh, hardwood floor. I don't know my oven, I, the wall here. He's not the only one. One of Mostafavi's third floor neighbors says she's had drain problems too, but doesn't want us to show her face. She says it began shortly after she moved into her rental apartment in 2021. Her toilet kept getting clogged. She says Millennium officials blamed it on disinfecting wipes that she says were flushable. But she says her problems continued well after she stopped using them. So water was bubbling up all around where the toilets connected to the ground. She shared both pictures and video with us showing past flooding around her washing machine, her entry room floor, and says she has logs proving that Millennium crews come to her apartment twice a month to snake out her kitchen sink. And they said that they um, do this to prevent clogging. Um, and then even though they're still doing this, I'm still having things foaming up from the kitchen, from the kitchen sink regularly. Millennium Tower officials didn't answer our questions about most of these flooding issues. But shocked. Shed us a statement saying all the water problems in the building are limited to just two third floor units. They blame wipes and other non-flushable items for clogging up the system, not the tilting. They cited this engineer's report dated January of last year, recounting that tower staff was running into issues regarding educating tenants on their habits regarding sanitary wipes and other non-flushable products that are causing backups in these lines. Keep in mind, just five months earlier, Millennium's own fix engineer, Ron Hamburger, Ron. backups had already started in a second floor kitchen and could occur in units with drainage pipes that flow against the direction of the tilt. Millennium Tower officials say that Hamburger merely stated that it was possible for such backups to happen, adding that drainage slopes have always remained within code standards. Even though monitoring data shows the tower's tilt has gone from 19 inches at the time of Hamburger's report, to 29 inches now. We cannot expect this to be a one-off. It is a systemic issue that requires attention. Mark Savell is an architect and contractor who analyzes building failures. He says while wipes slushed down toilets can obviously be a problem, tilting is the most likely cause of the backups being reported now. The only way to deal with it permanently, he says, is to adjust drain pipes to make them still slope properly downward despite the tilt. And he says the time to do that may be now. This is undoubtedly a health concern. It's a uh, potential for property damage and it's going to continue if not worsen over time. Well, I was so happy, beautiful apartment. I was so happy coming here, move here. Mostafavi says he now feels trapped in his once beloved condo, unable to sell. With so many problems happening here, now is more than a bothersome. It's not, it's not manageable anymore, money-wise and time-wise. I don't know what to do. So this it's is not your a, unhappy place? No, yeah, I have to put it on a UN here. <laughs> At least he's kind of funny. <laughs> Jackson NBC, <laughs> Bay Area News. That's incredibly uh, fucked up. How much do you think that condo cost him? Oh, my God. Right. Well, that's the those are the the real victims we've been talking about for a long time, right? I mean, victims, yes, but I mean they're they're buying pretty expensive condos, so okay, fine, maybe a small violin is playing for them, but um, yeah, that it, it 
it's got to be awful. And you know that they can't probably get any recourse even with a lawsuit until there's some sort of absolute end to it, right? Like there's the, the owners finally admit we can't straighten the building out, right? We're not going to be able to fix this. Then they can <clears throat> sue, right? But I think they could, they should sue anyway. Oh, that, that dude's probably already, already suing. I hope so. God, it's just awful. <laughs> it's almost like, okay, let's just run the story and let, let it speak for itself. But Jesus Christ, get your shit together. Or at uh, least get it flowing the right direction. There you go. Get your, get your shit flowing. Um, well, shall we, speaking of flowing, shall we head uh, down ballot and check out a few little, uh, few stories from the, the local political and policy scene here? Yeah. What's this first one? Um, very interesting. So uh, San Jose recently is, is in the process of passing a new um, sort of housing plan that the state requires all cities to pass every eight years to sort of guide housing growth to account for need, right? Um, well, San Jose is still in the process of getting their plan passed. And in the interim, because their previous plan has expired, there's this sort of weird space where developers can come in and sort of get around local zoning codes and other policies, housing policies, because there's really no policy in place right now. So we're going to learn about a story of, about uh, some condos coming to Willow Glen um, that uh, are trying to get around uh, and use this, this loophole. A new housing fight is brewing in the South Bay, and it's a big test for a strategy that could fast-track projects that might otherwise get rejected. The latest battleground is a longtime swim and tennis club in San Jose's Willow Glen neighborhood. A developer wants to tear down the club on Pedro Street to build condos, including low-income housing. And here is where it gets interesting. The developer is trying to use something called the Builder's Remedy. Now, we've been hearing about this ever since the state started requiring cities and counties to submit their housing plans. And as Katie Nielsen shows us, it could be a way to push this project through without approval from the city. This is the San Jose Swim and Racquet Club. It first opened in 1956, almost 70 years ago. Now, it's more there. than three acres of prime real estate where a developer wants to build 85 luxury condos, but neighbors are saying not so fast. It has uh, tennis and an Olympic-sized pool. Dave Zalatimo has been a member at SJSRC for more than 20 years. It's where his kids learn to swim and where he comes to swim laps. And when you have a, a unique facility like this that is the center of a community, when this land is converted to um, private residential, um, that community is lost. Dave is leading an opposition group trying to save the swim club or at least prevent developers from turning it into condos. According to a proposal sent to the city, the developer wants to build a four-story, 85-unit condo building with 20% of the units marked for low-income housing. But the city planning department refused to change the zoning to allow the condo project to move forward, so the developer notified the city they'd be using something called Builder's Remedy. Cities are suddenly worried about this, in a way that they weren't in the past. Professor Elmendorf teaches law classes in land use at UC Davis and is an expert in Builder's Remedy. He says it's a state statute that was rarely used until about six months ago. It allows developers to sidestep city zoning regulations to fast track affordable housing projects in cities that don't have an affordable housing plan approved by the state. The Builder's Remedy only applies in cities that haven't adopted an adequate housing plan to accommodate their share of regionally needed housing. With Builders Remedy, builders can come in with development on pretty much any property, and uh, we don't have a lot of leeway to say no. 
San Jose City Council member Dev Davis represents the Willow Glen neighborhood and the area of the proposed development. She says she's not opposed to the additional housing, but doesn't like the idea of losing recreational space to housing. But there isn't much the city can do to push back because it's a California regulation. The state and our state representatives have basically sided with developers and said developers get carte blanche and the average resident gets no say. The attorney for the development told me this afternoon that there is no lawful way for the city to block this development project and that the 85 housing units are a necessary step toward easing the area's housing crisis. Katie tells us just last night, San Jose City Council approved a revised version of its housing plan. So the state needs to sign off. But if it's approved, that would stop any more developers from using the builder's remedy. As far as the plan just approved, it outlines how San Jose aims to meet its goals of adding as many as 75,000 new homes over the next decade. So that could boost its housing stock by 25%. The city has identified about 600 potential sites for developments, many in the Derridan Station area and future site of Google's mega campus. <laughs> I feel like there's, a, <clears throat> there's actually a solution here. It's too. And what if you put a swim club in the housing development so that the bottom floor of the housing development was the swim club and then the people lived above the swim club? But then you'd have to like let like the public into your like private housing establishment to like use the club and, you know, and then they'd bring their icky kids and their towels and stuff and their like juice packs um and they'd be in your yard you know um no that's a great idea actually i mean uh, you know coming together right like the development around the flea market why in the world can't you figure out a way to accomplish you know to, to build a brand new better flea market in your development right um so yeah i'd love to see that um good to hear that these developers are interested in having affordable units on site they could just pay a fee to the city to get that done um, into a, an affordable housing fund, but they actually want to have this, the units there. So that's nice. Um, but other than that, yeah, I, I, I don't know how much value this is bringing with 85 units. It's not necessarily like every unit counts. It does, um, especially for the person living on the street, um, the family living on the street, but it's not, they can't, you know, necessarily play the trumpets and say, we're the freaking saviors of all men, of all humankind. Right. Um, so, uh, I think that, again, uh, this is more like a winners and losers situation because no one's really winning yet. So uh, we're going to stay in San Jose for, I think, uh, all all of our stories in uh, Down Ballot Watch. These are San Jose leaders and business owners hope to get rid of downtown blight. Right. Well, as, as we talked about earlier, um, there's a, a mass exodus um, of folks, not from San Jose necessarily, but people who are just not coming downtown in San Jose because of a perception that it's just not a friendly place. Um, we both know that it's almost too friendly. And yes. that's probably the problem. That's probably the problem. Uh, but uh, now, you know, for a long time, um, and I'll, I'll lead into this story really quickly because I know we have to go soon, but um, for a long time, there's been this sort of pushback on the broken windows philosophy of policing, right? Like if you have tenants in, in, in commercial spaces, if you have eyes on the street, quote unquote, like people living and in, in, in working around an area, um, you'll see less broken windows and you'll see, you'll see more, you know, less crime on the whole and things will just improve generally speaking, right? Because you've done that. So this, and that we've shied away from that because it's somewhat racist 
um, and and uh, is really grounded in really racist theology or uh, uh, philosophies around uh, public safety policy. Well, we're seeing a resurgence of it, and it's the very black and brown people who we're supposed to be looking out for who are joining in with Mayor Ed Two Hundred Nine to to join the chorus of blight and and what we need to do to to improve the situ the the perspective and the perception of downtown. So here you go. Evening. I'm Elizabeth Cook. And I'm Ryan Yamamoto. It's an issue plaguing many Bay Area cities trying to boost their downtowns after the pandemic. Now San Jose is taking action. Devin Feely has more on how the city is stepping up enforcement to fight blight and what it means for the businesses who live with it every day. When there are empty storefronts, when a neighborhood has become something of an eyesore with trash and graffiti, it can become very difficult for business owners to convince customers to come to their store. The city is trying to break that cycle and has launched an aggressive crackdown on property owners that haven't kept their buildings up. A lot of people, they don't want to come down here because of the way it looks. Chris Patterson Simmons is the owner of New To You Thrift Boutique, a business a few blocks away from San Jose City Hall. The graffiti is just really crazy. She's been in business for 11 years, but starts virtually every day the same way spray painting over the graffiti that sprung up outside her store like a stubborn weed. If I'm not there, it would be bad. It would be, it would be really bad, you know, because I already know the need. That's why I've been blessed to be here so long. San Jose Mayor Matt Mahan wants to help business owners like Chris. This is really about accountability. The mayor was joined by members of the city council and business community to announce a plan to crack down on empty and neglected storefronts and buildings throughout the city. It's not fair to any of the business owners along here who are acting in good faith trying to make a living to have to deal with blighted properties next to them that's scaring away customers. The mayor says the city has aggressively staffed up its building and code enforcement department. There's currently 41 inspectors citywide with plans to hire five more. He says that should help with a backlog of complaints he says that property owners with rundown or out of compliance buildings should be prepared to face fines. We are staffing up this department, bringing down the vacancy rate, and putting ourselves in a position to be proactive. Chris says she welcomes the help after years of shouldering the burden, largely by herself. There's been a number of times me and fellow business owners will go out there and clean stuff up. According to the city, the fines eventually top out at $1,000 a day for property owners who have ignored repeated requests and efforts to get them to clean up their buildings. I don't know. <clears throat> so, I mean, if they're going after, like, the property owners who aren't leasing the space and are letting, letting it go into disrepair or decline, I'm for that, right? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's been a push to do this for a long time. It's just that uh, now it's it's getting some traction because um, Mayor Ed 209 is one of his biggest issues is blight and cleanliness, um, which is next to godliness, by the way. Uh, so he's using that and leverage. And, and frankly, council members are, you know, uh, leveraging that and trying to get some of that love and that largesse in their own districts, right? Because they all, um, hopefully, um, they can all benefit from, from his interest in doing that. Businesses everywhere can benefit, but uh, we'll we'll see. It's a pilot program for now, and we'll see we'll see if it has any what kind of effect it has. Um, well, we have a, I know we're coming up on it. We have a couple more stories, but we could just turn no, we got one it. of them into another thing. We good? All right. Well, let's 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 talk about Burger King because you know it, we want to have these workers want to have it their way. I've been waiting to say that all day. <laughs> I totally I totally fucked it up, but you know we're rushed. 
And employees at a San Jose Burger King held a strike and rally after they say a co-worker was not allowed to leave her shift despite suffering severe pain. Cooks and cashiers demonstrated outside the Burger King on Story Road at South White Road tonight. Laura Reyes says she was on the job in early April when she started having pain and she started bleeding. She says she asked her manager if she could leave early. Reyes says the manager told her she could not leave until others had gotten their breaks. Donde estaba una compañera Aide que I told her that I was bleeding very bad and I wasn't sure if I was pregnant. But inside of me I felt that it was something very wrong. We worked more than a hamburger and I could have died that day. So I don't want that anyone goes through the same thing. Reyes later had a miscarriage, and she learned she'd had a potentially dangerous ectopic pregnancy. Reyes has filed a complaint with Cal OSHA. We have reached out to Burger King for a response. We have an update. Whoa, dude. Whoa. Burger yeah, King's response, yeah, Burger King's response is going to be like their lawyers, basically. Yeah, they're in. That's not good. Not, um, not great. <clears throat> also, not like, great. <clears throat> as like a person who eats at places, I don't, you know, if you're, and it doesn't really matter what the, the cause of, like, if somebody's bleeding somewhat profusely at an establishment that's serving food, they should, I mean, first of all, they should seek medical attention, but they should also Correct. not be working at that, that, what the fuck? Not be by the charbroiler, maybe? Yeah. Like, um, that would probably be a good idea. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, first and foremost, the health and safety of the worker and their, obviously, um, uh, everything that was going on there uh and then um you know health and safety of your customers like all these things should come sort of first and foremost especially if you're in the food business i don't know if burger king is i guess it's franchised so i'm sure this is a franchise operator maybe uh, so um it may you know maybe there's some corporate policy that they were breaking too so maybe maybe this um this can also be appealed that way as well so we shall see but good lord dude like have a little more respect for your just a ton, tiny bit of respect for your employees you're not paying them a whole lot in the first place a whopper's um, a, a whopper's a damn good fast food burger but now i'm thinking thinking a little thinking twice about what's going on behind the scenes at my local burger king you know dude the commercials make me want to go i mean those chicken sandwiches oh i used to love that italian chicken sandwich i got that every time that came out but no more no more um well uh that was down ballot watch, um, so we'll keep an eye on that strike. That's a, actually a bigger push um, uh, nationwide and locally around fast food worker unionization and uh, minimum wage hikes, things of that nature, the $15 minimum wage. So um, more to come in that arena, but I really feel for that um, that employee and hope she, hope she gets um, everything that's coming to her. Paid. Paid. There you go. Paid. All right. Well, uh, shall we do one more thing? Yeah, we got one more thing. What is this? Well, I don't know if you've ever seen a kangaroo rat, but I hadn't until I watched this video. So I was today's old when I learned what a kangaroo rat is, and we're going to find out. All of our listeners and, and a viewer are going to find out as well. Well, scientists will soon scour a remote part of Santa Clara County trying to find more of a, a creature that's on the verge of being extinct. Scientists tell the Bay Area News Group they spotted a small population of the Santa Cruz kangaroo rat in the preserve above Los Gatos. Now, they're mostly active at night. They're more physically related to chipmunks than a rat. It's believed that only a few of them were left in the world and they lived in Cowell State Park in Santa Cruz County. Oh, and then they have little cute voices. 
Do they have little cute voices? I don't Christmas, know. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. <laughs> like the, the fucking chip, like Alvin and the chip. I, I tried to shy away from the melody itself so we don't get shut down again, but um, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that was super cute. Oh my God. I didn't realize they were more like chipmunks than rats. I want one. Yeah, well, they're, they're want- rare. You would have to pay a pretty penny, I think, to get one. But I want it now, Daddy. <laughs> I want a parade. <laughs> <laughs> I want a party with roomfuls of laughter. All right. Well, I guess we've reached the end of another wonderful episode of Down Ballot. Um, would you like me to read it out? Who shall you read it out this week? What shall we do? I've already got you full screened. Oh, dude, I'm I'm on. Listener, pay very close attention to the man on the screen. No, uh, thanks very much for joining us once again for another live episode of Down Ballot and for downloading the podcast uh, later on the podcatcher of your choice. Uh, we really appreciate you tuning in. Please share with a friend. Um, once again, we are the 11th best news podcast in California, and we are coming for you, California Report. Um, uh, this has been uh, the Councilman, as always, with producer Dave. Please get vaxxed, wear a mask if possible, and pants are optional. This is Audible Smoke, and stay tuned for Conspiracy Bingo. Peace. <laughs> To get the party started Pick up my phone just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice for the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car just to get to where they are Here at the local scene is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette and I hold my drink I look at all my friends, they're all blazing green Sit with the front of the stage waiting for FTV Where are those guys who's standing next to me With a pipe in his hand ready to blaze for me About five minutes later we're all singing queen Now get the fuck up on and rock the scene, yeah. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. Enjoy that band. I turn and head back to the bar for a refill, man. You know where we are We're headed out to the car To smoke another one And another one Now just when the magic starts kicking in I hear we left playing And you know it's time to head in Alright everybody now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it And then pass it to me We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band we want what we want to do and what we want is to jam so sit back and enjoy the band enjoy that band last up on the bill for the show tonight it's down and dirty in five so we're headed outside to spark up another joint now who's got my lighter stoner e of course shouldn't you be inside i'm all up in this bitch being who i gotta be i'm fucked up like the u.s economy the truth is is that i don't think logically stoner e take you on a
psychedelic odyssey Now inside motherfuckers is rockin' me And outside shit we smoke a lot of broccoli Rocky the rolly, all the sexy girl be jockin' me Ain't too drunk to fuck, but I'll probably do a sloppin' We do what we want What we wanna do And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Sit back.